I am Citizen 44. This show is sponsored by Spartans Alliance. I hope I get that promotion. I really hope my boss likes me. I hope my client signs that deal. Folks, I'm here to tell you that hope is not a plan. When you're ready to take control of your future and ensure your success rather than hoping, you need a solid plan. You need a plan that delivers results every step of the way. A plan that ensures seven-figure incomes in short time frames. When you're ready for that kind of life-changing plan, Spartans Alliance will guide you, educate you, and ensure your success in the field of mergers and acquisitions. Spartans Alliance has created vast wealth in the barely mined field of M&A. Over the last 25 years, we have created a set of strategies and techniques that bring seven-figure incomes to our members. When you join our alliance of millionaires, you take action in creating your future. Hope will not deliver financial freedom. Only intelligent application of time and energy can do that. Spartans Alliance is your window into the untapped world of buying and selling companies for a living using none of your own money. Get started today. SpartansAlliance.com Hey everybody, Mark Ahrensberg here. Welcome to Citizen 44. This is show number 78. My guest today is self-made millionaire, Bart Rupert. Bart is a super nice man, very generous, and I think a new friend of the show. Very cool guy, and he likes what we're doing, and I like what he's doing, so here's what we're doing. I think you'll find this interesting, to say the least. It certainly changed my mind about money and how I feel about it. It's Halloween 2019, and the Halloween parade right down here, downtown Ashland, just ended. And it seemed a little less attended than usual, although the energy was there, certainly a lot of people in amazing costumes, but the streets were not lined typically in the density that I normally notice. So anyway, happy Halloween to everybody. Hope you have a good day, a good evening, all that stuff. Actually, hope you had, because now it's after Halloween and it's uh, the next day, which is November 1st, Scorpio month. Very exciting. I got three Scorpios in my family. Me, November 19th, my ex-wife, my children's mother, November 11th, and my daughter over there at OSU, November 7th. Speaking of my daughter, she is in midterms right now. She says it's a little challenging, but she's holding it together and doesn't sound like there's any undue pressure on her and uh, she's having a good time. She said she could not tell on campus that it was actually Halloween today. She's about a month into college and so far, so good. Also exciting, my son Sam yesterday started his first job. Sam is 15, you know, he's not doing the whole school thing. He's finding his own path, doing his own thing, and uh, certainly no pressure from me, but I'm really excited that he has decided to be productive and do something. So he started at Wendy's training yesterday. Wendy's here in Ashland, Oregon, and I'm stoked for him to embark on this new chapter of his life and do new things, find out what life is about on a whole new level. So that's exciting. And then Val and I are gonna go up on November 8th through the 11th to Corvallis to go see Zoe at Oregon State University for her first parents visit weekend. So that'll be a whole lot of fun. Anyway, we got a great show. We got Bart Rupert. He's the real deal and he's a nice man. Here we go. 
Hey, Bart. Hey, Mark. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Yeah, Mark, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Bart, I'm having some image of Gordon Gecko in my mind. I actually do have a picture of Gordon Gecko on my wall. What is that? I've got a wall of influencers and really successful people. Not that Gordon Gecko necessarily aligns with the ethics or the moral behavior you take in business, but he is somebody that's an achiever. He's gone out there and accomplished. And if you look towards 1% of truth or value in everything in what people can do in general, he's definitely an influential guy. And I've got the guy on my wall. Gordon Gecko. I've heard a lot about you. We've had a little bit of correspondence and you seem like a Insta bro, but I'm really intrigued about where you've come from and where you've ended up. Mark, I grew up financially destitute. We didn't have any money to speak of. And I think that was really valuable. It was super helpful for me because it taught me the value of hard work, the value of earning your own keep, and really the difficulty around that. But probably most influentially, it taught me at a very early age what I didn't want to have as I got older. When you grow up with nothing, you very quickly realize, compared to other folks around you that may have a lot of access to resource, wealth, food on the table, consistent lights in the house, that that's not where you want to be. So I learned very early that to get out of that situation would be a very good thing for not just myself, but my family. And it inspired me, I think at a very early age, to really seek a path to success, seek a path to wealth, figure out how to be able to do the things that the people around me in my family weren't able to do as I was growing up. And that I think is really for everybody, a very influential moment. If you look at the growth path of individuals I firmly believe you grow up loving what you lack in the sense that if you grow up without any money, you're going to really love money or what it can provide for you. If you grow up in a situation to where you feel as if your parents didn't love you, then you're going to really be seeking a lot of good feedback from them or approval from them. And I think that's really what forges us as human beings from a very early age. perception that there's a certain percentage of people who are wealthy and a certain percentage who aren't. The fact of the matter is there is enough wealth and resources and abundance to go around for everybody. There's enough out there for all of us. Unfortunately, there are some situations where individuals or groups hoard that, but that doesn't make it inaccessible. It just means you've got to be able to find a way to create value to extract that. And the value that you can bring to the table is what you can actually put there in exchange for that wealth to be able to get access to it. But the most important part is that there's enough out there for everybody. The individuals that you hear about that are acting greedily or not really distributing that or not really doing things that are philanthropic, those are the individuals most likely that operate within a mindset of scarcity. And a mindset of scarcity 
can be very dangerous. The reason it can be dangerous is because it influences how you behave. So for example, if I think to myself, oh man, I have a limited amount of money in the bank and I don't know that I can create more money, then I'm going to treat that money as a very valuable resource that cannot be parted with. Therefore, I'm going to be less generous. I'm going to pay people less than they're worth. I may actually take on partnerships where I don't pay their fair share because I'm operating from a mindset of scarcity. I'm thinking, I can't give that to them because I can't get it back. The reality is we all have the opportunity when stepping into a situation of wealth creation to think about things exactly opposite from that. A lot of people think about it from a very esoteric perspective, sublime perspective, almost like a karmic perspective. And really, if you look at why that works in terms of attracting wealth to you, it's not because there's some sort of magical, mystical aspect about it. It's because psychologically, that's the way that things work. There's more than enough wealth out there for everybody, and I'm gonna have confidence with everything that I do, therefore I'm gonna be more relaxed about how I spend my capital, who I engage with, and how I compensate them. Because if I'm thinking about it from the standpoint of, there's more than enough for everybody, and I know how to create more, that's not a problem, then I'm going to be much more generous in sharing that with family, with friends. Not that I'm just gonna be a charity case, but the reality is that I'm going to assign enough value and confidence within myself to know that I can go out and create more wealth and actually get access to that capital that everybody else thinks is so unachievable. And therefore, I'm going to be more relaxed. And because I'm more relaxed, I'm going to be more giving and more in the flow of actually distributing some of that wealth. And similarly, they're going to be more relaxed around me. Now you can start to see how like creates like, because by the way I engage, I'm doing things that are very trustworthy. I'm paying people fairly. They see that, they appreciate that. They give me more business and they do the same thing to me. Even if somebody is a bit guarded with their wealth, as long as they don't have a blinder on in terms of the scarcity mindset, they will see how a wealthy person behaves with them and they will be reciprocal. Even if it's new behavior for them, they'll find themselves being more trusting, more open, more giving with what they're doing because they trust more. And it opens up this opportunity that allows us to not just be individual contributors going out and acquiring wealth, but working really as a team, building a bit of a consortium mindset to where we've got a group of individuals that are going out there and seeking wealth. People see that, they respond to that, and it becomes very reciprocal. What were your parents doing back then and why was it so difficult for you guys? My father was an electrician and he had a really good set of years. And then there was a lot of unionized work and other things that happened that made things dry up. So he took a pay cut of like 30% of what he was making before. And my mother did everything she could to make ends meet working as a secretary. They were both doing everything they could, but it was a struggle just to put food on the table and keep the lights on. 
What was your aha moment? There were several, but in terms of work ethic, I remember one that was very influential to me. I've been working since I was 11 years old, but at the age of 11, you can't actually go out and get legitimate work. I couldn't back then. So what I had to do was start my own companies. So I started a very successful lawn business that was all over the city by the time I'd gone to college, but really did it because I had to. It was the only way to really create any degree of money that allowed me to do some pretty basic things by most standards. And in the creation of that lawn company, I learned a lot about good work ethics and what it meant when you showed up on a job site and somebody actually gave you a tip. That was huge in terms of what that felt like. To be able to also see what failure looked like when you didn't do a good enough job and somebody fired you. I had a partner and we had a lot of different shenanigans that we went through in terms of growing up. We had jobs we did really well and we kept clients for years. We had jobs that didn't go so well and you learn really fast when every dollar is necessary for your survival, what you need to do and not do. Then when I was old enough, I got a job working for a construction company. And I was this little scrawny kid that had no business being on a construction crew, but that's what was available. So they handed me a shovel and they said, go dig a ditch. And I remember one day the top brass at the company handed me a hoe and I'd never seen a hoe before. And he said, I need you to go ahead and hoe up all of this grass to the side of the building. So I went and got this hoe and I got it to where I thought it was good, but I wanted validation. So I pulled in one of the foremen and I remember to this day, the foreman's name was Ozell, really good guy. I pulled Ozell aside and I said, hey, before I go and take it to the top boss, I just want to ask, does this look okay? And he took a long look at the work that I'd done and he sat there assessing it, probably thinking about what he was going to say. And he looked over at me after probably four or five seconds and said, give me your hoe. So I gave it to him. He went over there and with such force and momentum pulled up, not just the grass by the top, he actually got underneath the roots of the grass and lifted them out of the ground and then started piling up all the grass in the corner. Then he took everything down to the dirt and he did that for two full rows. And then after that, he flattened out the dirt. And when you looked at it, the original yard was just grass. What was right next to it that I had done was chopped up grass with a little bit of dirt showing. And when you looked at his work, it was pristine, nothing but dirt. There was no grass, no roots, anything. And he handed the hoe back to me and he said, you see what I just did there? When the boss man comes by, there's nothing he can say to say you didn't do a good job. I remember looking at that and that was a pivotal moment for me because it set a standard. It set a bar to be able to say, if you're going to do work and you're going to do it right, this is what it means. Ever since then, I think that I embarked upon that being the standard from an achievement standpoint. Not that everybody has to be a perfectionist, but it is about being able to go out there, do hard work, do it really well, be happy and satisfied with what you've done, and also know what you can take back.
how did you do in school? I ended up doing really well in school in the end, but it didn't come naturally for me. I was absolutely not the smartest kid in the class. In fact, even within my group of friends, I was one of the less intelligent ones in terms of raw intellectual horsepower. I could see the world for what it was differently than other folks, and I think that was the biggest advantage I had. But intellectually, I was pretty average, still am. There were three of us, myself included, that were competing for the top slot upon graduation, the valedictorian slot, and I did not get it. <laughs> but I think that to your question, what was clear to me at that young age is that anything you set your mind to, you can accomplish. And I know that sounds trite, but stick with me because I guess till about the sixth grade, I got what my mother called a gentleman's grade, which was C's and B's, mostly C's. And I think my mom was being very polite and kind to me, but I wasn't trying. And the reason being, I didn't care about school. I did not see that that was a path for me that would result in anything that was worthwhile. After I started scaling up and getting people that were working with me and the lawn business, adding additional folks onto the team, I remember telling my mother, wow, this is scaling really well. This is making a lot of money now. And I was telling her how I was proud with how it was coming along because I said, if I could do this forever, this is great the way this thing's growing. And she didn't sit me down, but she said, Bart, you do not want to be mowing lawns or running lawn crews when you're 65. At the time, I knew of some people that were around that age and I agreed. Just at the moment where I thought, man, I got a handle on this thing, I'm cranking it out. It caused me to question like, well, what do I want? That's around the time where I started asking the deeper question like, okay, well, what is the path to make sure that I don't grow up in a livelihood to where I'm struggling to put food on the table and keep the lights on, which is what I was going through as a kid. And it's about that time where the revelation came to me that I need to care about school because that's the path that I can take to get wealth. Because back in my day, that's what you heard. If you want to go out and make a living and do well, you got to go to school and be a doctor or a lawyer. So at that point, I was like, okay, well, that means I need to care about this thing called school. And everybody in my family said it was like they swapped me out for a different kid because in an instant, I changed my entire reality. All of a sudden, I started really focusing. And again, I wasn't smart, but I was doing a whole lot better. And it was about that time that I had this realization, this revelation that school was important. And as soon as I realized that's what I needed to do, I gave it focus and I had all the tools that I needed to get it done. Now, arguably people could look back now and go, oh, well, where you graduated in your class, clearly you had that really easy and you were lucky and you were smart. Absolutely not true. I just busted my ass. That was the difference. I made the decision, I'm going to do this. I found a way to make it work because determination and drive leads to results. You'll hear the phrase, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. You'll also hear the phrase, you are the product of the five people that you choose to surround yourself with all the time. And that is true. Mm -hmm.
If you're looking at your life right now and you think of the five people you spend the most amount of time with, you are going to be a product of that. So if you're sitting around right now with people who don't have money or struggling to make ends meet, don't really know where their next paycheck's coming from, you are going to be in that category. You're going to fit that mold. And chances are that's what your life is going to be like. If you then choose to say, I'm going to surround myself with people that are very successful, they've got that figured out, they're not worried about their next paycheck, all of a sudden, that starts to rub off. You start to take on some of that mindset, some of those ideologies, and you naturally step up. That's one of the great things about the human experience is that we love challenges. Whether we're conscious of it or not, we're constantly stepping up our game. And that's what you do, whether you realize it or not. If you're in a spot right now where your life is stagnated, my guess is that you're stagnated within the relationships that are around you. If people are saying, my life is stagnated and I don't know when it's gonna take off, the reality is you can fix that, in many cases, by changing the people you hang out with, because that will force you to step up your game. And in this way, I didn't consciously know any of this or plan any of it, but the exact opposite happened to me in the sense that once I started paying attention to schoolwork and studying and really putting an effort into it, all of a sudden the smart kids started noticing. And they'd lean over and be like, hey Rupert, I noticed you beat me on that English test. And then all of a sudden, the smartest echelon of kids in the school who I'd never hung out with approached me and said, hey, well done on that. And the next thing you know, it was a matter of just a couple months, all my friends were these people that were at the top of the class. And I found myself caught up in this whirlwind of success in academia and ended up graduating in one of the top positions because I worked hard. I was much more willing to put in the work and much more dedicated and driven. And that is one of the key fuels behind success. If you have a set of goals for yourself and you're clear on what those goals look like, that's your compass. You say, yeah, I want to be able to go out there and make a million dollars. That's your compass. If your goals become the direction you face in your life, your drive and dedication is the engine that gets you there. And it dictates whether or not you get there, how fast you get there, and how much emphasis is behind you in getting to that objective. I learned that if I apply myself and I am very clear about what I focus on, I can achieve it. If I'm in a situation where I want to achieve wealth, but I'm constantly telling people in my life that I don't have enough money to pay the bills or I don't have enough money to go out, you can see very easily how incongruent that is. I'm thinking one thing and I'm saying and doing something completely different. If I truly was congruent with myself and I was aligned around the goal of I'm going to be able to go out there and achieve wealth, not I want to or wouldn't it be nice, I'm going to do that. That is something I'm going to create for myself in my life. That is congruency. When you start feeling that in your soul, calling out that this is what you need to do to take your life to the next level, to get out of the hell that you're living in and go out and make it happen because no one's gonna hand it to you. You start thinking about ways to be able to achieve that. All of a sudden an idea pops up, maybe a business idea, maybe a partnership concept, maybe a different job that you hadn't thought of. 
But here's what happens to 90 plus percent of the people out there. You will kill the dream at the thought. You'll find a way to convince yourself it would not work. And this is where the incongruency becomes manifest because you would say to yourself, those guys would probably never hire me. But that guy wouldn't want to partner with me. You don't even try. You just talk yourself out of it. But if you can take that congruency one step further, maybe start aligning some of the narrative you're sharing with yourself and others around you and align that with your thoughts, something pretty powerful starts to happen. And I'm a big believer in you got to get out there and do it, just like I did. you focus on is what you create in your life. Throw yourself into something. Do something that seems a little bit reckless that scares you, that's aligned with your goal, just to see what happens. For example, if you're in a situation where you feel like, I really want to get ahead and I want to get ahead through finance, but I'm scared to really jump into finance because I'm afraid that I might not understand it or it's going to be scary or it's going to be intimidating to get congruency, most people might start by studying up on it doing something very safe on their own. But one of the ways you could go get confidence is go to a seminar about it. Go talk with a bunch of people at a party, at a get together, an event. Yeah, you might embarrass yourself and you might feel a little bit foolish, but you didn't die from it. You learned a little bit. In fact, you probably learned a lot more through the action that you took than you ever would sit around studying. I'll give you a real world example that I went through about my dating life. I've been married a long time now, but I was a very late bloomer. I was extraordinarily entrepreneurial, started over 20 companies, multiple companies from startup up to around $10 million, grew a company from 8 million to over 75 million, and another company from around 22 million to over 100 million. And within that, it comes down to the confidence that you've got and the drive you've got to be successful, whether or not you want it. It wasn't like I just woke up with that skill set. I just dove into these things. Going back to the story, woke up one day and said, I probably need to be getting on with my personal life. I'm getting to an age now where I should be having a serious relationship and I should start thinking about settling down. A lot of people are going to think this is strange, but I actually set a goal and decided, okay, I need to meet my life partner. I need to make that a goal. I need to focus on it. I need to make it happen. And I started off just like I do with most everything else in life. I set a very clear list of goals brilliant mind, wonderful personality, super funny, drop dead gorgeous. I look at this list going, there's no way I could land whoever this person is out in the world if I don't up my game. So later that same week, I was at work and I was talking to a buddy of mine who was also single. And I said, you know what? I decided this weekend that I'm gonna go out there and find my life partner. Here's all the stuff that I wrote down that I'm gonna go find. And he laughed at me. He goes, how are you gonna do that? I'm like, well, right now the honest answer is I can't, but I'm gonna figure it out. Sometimes the most surprising things happen when you get it out there and make it real in the world, not just in your head to where it can die a horrible death. He came back and he goes, you know, 
I've been thinking for a while now of a good way to raise my confidence talking to women because I don't know how to talk to women. I'm like, yeah, I could talk to women, I guess, but I have no idea what to say to them. Certainly nothing that would create attraction. So he suggested to me, we should go out there and try and meet women. We can be each other's wingman. And he goes, you know what I'll do? I'll go sit down and we'll study up on it. We'll look at some techniques, what lines are working. And my contribution to that, number one, dude, I'm all in. Let's freaking do this. And number two, let's not look at anything. Let's just go. He's like, what? I'm like, oh yeah, Friday night. In fact, are there clubs open on Thursdays? He's like, yeah. I'm like, let's go Thursday. So we put action over thought and decided let's just throw ourselves into it. And I got to tell you, Mark, we went out there. And if you were to go and look at any movie on the most humiliating experience talking to women, probably 40-year-old virgin is the closest thing I could think of. It was that bad, except there were two of us and we were equally horrible. It was so bad at one point, my buddy was trying to talk to this girl and I was right next to him. And as I was hearing what he was saying, he looked over at me like a drowning man in the water. We made eye contact and I bust out laughing. He bust out laughing as well. It broke the tension. The girl left horrified. And we said, okay, what are we doing right? What are we doing wrong? And the great thing was we were doing everything wrong. There was literally no way it could get worse. It was so embarrassing, so humiliating. And we had the choice in that moment to lay down and die, go home, give up, own the shame and own the fear and just say, yeah, this is just who we are and we suck. And we decided to do the exact opposite. Laughter was good levity. And we decided right then and there in some club with the most horrible music you've ever heard in your life, we decided we're gonna figure this thing out. We're gonna find out how to talk to these girls. I don't care how long it takes. We're gonna watch other people doing it. We're gonna watch what works for them and what doesn't work for them. We're gonna make this a bit of an expedition to really unlock the female psyche. And at that point, it became a fun exercise. We were in it together so the buddy system can work with something like this, whether it's taking down a business or getting more money in your life or whatever your goal is. In this case, it happened to be meeting women. And we just decided we're gonna figure it out. We sat there watching all these approaches from different guys, and it took us weeks. But I remember after a couple weeks, one night, one of us, I forget who did it first, but one of us actually pulled phone numbers. And when the girl gave up the phone number, it was the most shocking thing ever. If you'd ever seen the movie Tommy Boy, where he goes in there and he's, he's pitching and he's pitching and he's pitching, and then finally the guy goes, yeah, okay, I'll buy product from you. And the guy goes, well, that's okay, no, wait, what? Goodbye. And he was the most surprised person there. He's just doing what he was doing. And then all of a sudden it works. And that was like the hundredth monkey theory. If you've heard of the hundredth monkey theory to where one monkey learned how to use tools. And the next thing you know, he taught another monkey. And by the time it actually got to a hundred monkeys on this isolated island using tools, all these other disparate islands, the same thing started happening. It was like there was this consciousness shift where everybody all of a sudden knew how to do that thing. And as soon as one of us pulled digits, the next day the other one did. And again, you are the product of the five people you surround yourself with. And we were not smooth. We were not good looking. We were not particularly good with our approach. We had no fashion sense. And what happened from there was really this escapade of growth. And it ended up that we got really good at it. So we had to up our game. 
It was Valentine's Day. And we went to this thing called the Bitter Ball, this massive thing in Atlanta for everybody that wasn't dating. And all these singles that were bitter went there to meet each other. And there were like 2,000 men and 2,000 women. The goal that night was we're going to actually call our shots and essentially identify what we thought were the top three best, most attractive females for us in the room. And then those are the ones we were actually going to approach and, and ultimately try and get a date with them. And after we were there for 15 or 20 minutes, I picked out what I thought was the most drop-dead gorgeous woman in the place. Pool of guys always around her. And that was the one that I called. My buddy laughed. And I'm like, you're laughing because you don't think I can do it? He's like, no, I think you can. And I ended up dating that girl for like the rest of the summer. So it was this monumental journey from absolute zero, absolute failure to a place where, wow, we really figured this out. And we did it because we were genuinely curious and thrilled about the psychology of that game and to be able to meet somebody that would be our permanent life partner. That's why we did it. to somebody that is absolutely perfect. She fits all the characteristics on my goals list, down to the T. 10 out of 10, beautiful. The most deep mind you could imagine. Calls me on all my shit. Knows everything to say at exactly the right moment. Everything that I wanted. And had I not taken that action, had I not overcome the fear and done everything that I was mortally afraid of, and I think, Many people would agree with me that outside of public speaking, which always winds up as number one, and death, which is number two, rejection by the person that you're attracted to is the thing we're all mortally afraid of. And at that early age, I decided if I can overcome this, I can do anything. And had I not done that, I never would have had the skills to be able to marry the woman that I married. So when you look at it through that lens of you could really get to where you want to get and not really fulfill the full dream and regret it forever versus putting yourself into an uncomfortable situation for a period of time to achieve this ultimate outcome that you really, really choose to have in your life, which is easier. The rejection, I promise you, the fear around that goes away. It's temporary. And it's the exact same thing with wealth creation. The only difference between me and people that haven't yet created the wealth is that they don't yet know they can do it. They don't believe it. They're not congruent and aligned with themselves to really know they can get out there. And that's one of the things in our program that we show people. This isn't something that is isolated just for the one percenters. This isn't something that's super special. If you met a lot of millionaires, you'd realize how average they are. They're not any smarter than you. They're not any better at certain things than you. They just happen to have the ability to take a set of goals and apply some action and some passion to it and get to an outcome.
Well, I think that's a good springboard to talk about your company, Spartans Alliance. Yeah, and we've got the website up at SpartansAlliance.com. And it is plural because we've got about two dozen people in the program. It's a very small, tight group that's chosen to get together to accomplish amazing things. And its name comes from the 300 Spartans that we hear about that held back Xerxes. And ultimately, those individuals were specialists. They were people that were trained for, in this case, combat, a very specific function. And they did something that many heralded as absolutely impossible. There's no way 300 individuals could hold back an army like that. If you look at the mythology that we know, they chose their strategy, they identified the strongest ones that were capable of getting the job done, they aligned them in a very specific pattern, and they had motivation and drive that could not be defeated. And ultimately, they were a force to be reckoned with, accomplishing amazing outcomes. And that's what we like to do at Spartans Alliance. Anybody that's on a quest for financial wealth, that's what we can show them how to achieve. To be able to absolve yourself from debt is such a great feeling. It is freedom. It is the way you're supposed to feel. And the day you have that debt lifted off your shoulders is one of the most empowering days of your life. The other one is zero liabilities. Liabilities could be the liability to go in and work a job for 40 hours a week. That's a liability. You may think of it as, oh, a job can be an asset. And that's true, it does produce recurring income. But what do you have to do to be able to achieve that? And as long as there's that trade where you're forced to go do something that you don't wanna do, that's a liability. And the way that we're really meant to engage with the world, I believe, is to go into it without the liabilities. Because if we're without liabilities, that means we can do with our lives what we really wanna do with our lives, what we choose to do with our lives. And that's probably gonna be our highest calling. And if we're focused on our highest calling, we're happier, the people around us are getting more out of it, and the world is better for it. So if you're stuck in a job that you hate, and it's a dead-end job, and you don't feel right about it, the best favor you can do for not only yourself, but the world around you, is to free yourself up from that liability. Because you're gonna feel better, you're gonna be a better person as a result, and you're gonna elevate the people. And then it's the seven figures. Because ultimately, having seven figures, whether it's liquid or just in assets, that is very magical. And it's also important to note, you can have assets or wealth of a million dollars or more and not be rich, certainly not feel rich. If you've got a lot of liabilities tied to that, you could feel like one of the poorest people out there with a seven-figure bank account. So that's why we take a very well-rounded approach from a wealth perspective to what we're trying to create and are creating for our participants, helping them create seven figures, zero debt, zero liabilities. And you just have to be able to say, this is what I wanna do. And once you've made that choice, it's just a matter of finding the best way to follow up on it. And if you can do that, you will absolutely change your life. And as a result, you will create a wealth and a lifestyle around yourself 
that will allow you to change other people's lives as well. And that is such a good feeling. <laughs> Bart, thank you so much for going out there and doing the good work and being a cool guy. You too, man. I really thank you for your time and really appreciate you having me on the show. Mergers and acquisitions is quickly emerging as the fastest and most sure path to wealth. After so many have mined the thin dirt of internet riches and come up with only debt and confusion, they are looking for something much more sure and dependable. Learning to buy and sell companies for a living is your answer. You can generate seven-figure incomes in very short time periods by following this path. Spartans Alliance is offering a complete and effective course in the complex world of M&A. We have broken it down for you and made it simple and understandable. Spartans Alliance weekly courses take you through step-by-step step the strategies and techniques that create wealth through buying companies using none of your own money. Stop wasting time on the internet promises. Join an alliance of millionaires. Learn about the fastest and most sure path to wealth by visiting SpartansAlliance.com. that's the show. I hope you enjoyed it. I want to thank Bart Rupert for talking about some important things around money. It's always been one of these things that's kind of eluded me. And I know a lot of that is about my mindset around money. And I know most people have a lot of difficulty wrapping their mind around the value and the proposition of money and prosperity. And I think he cleared up some things. And I agree that if we all had the right amount of money, we could take care of ourselves and we could do more for each other. So thank you, Bart. I'd like to send a special birthday wish to Gary Lundgren, who turned 50 yesterday on Halloween. Big five zero. Happy birthday, Gary. Coming up next week, we've got Annie Hoy. She kind of interviewed me. We'll see how that goes. Citizen 44 with Mark Ahrensberg is a listener-supported presentation. You can listen to and download all shows on CastBox, iTunes, and Stitcher. Citizen 44 also has a new official YouTube channel. So check it out on YouTube and become a subscriber. As always, thanks so much for listening to the show. Catch you next time. This show is sponsored by Spartans Alliance. To find out how you can become a Spartan, visit them online at SpartansAlliance.com. Thank you, Sam, Zoe, and Val. If whatever you're doing is not working, there's one way you can change that, and that's to change what you do, 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 change what you do. Yes. I am Citizen 44.